0: Our sermon passage this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, Let the one who is able to receive this receive it.
1: You may be seated. As you find your seat, let's pray together. Our great God, we come before you and before your word in the name of Jesus, your Son. Lord, we pray that your spirit who gives life, your spirit who awakens faith, your spirit who has given us your word, would give to us understanding and give to us receptive hearts and give to us a longing to walk in your ways. Lord, there is so much That likely needs to be accomplished spiritually in this room. You know it all. You are the healer of all. You are the one who is able. So Lord, we pray that you would work. And Lord, I pray that in the next few minutes, you would cause me to be a faithful instrument in your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Friends, it's great to see you this morning. If you haven't done so already, please turn to Matthew chapter 19, where Julie just read for us. Um, before we dive in, I feel like there's two things I need to say. Number one, if you're our guest this morning, we are preaching our way through the book of Matthew, and the last time I checked, chapter 19 comes after chapter 18. So we're in a, in a consecutive series through Matthew, and hence our passage selection Today, we believe that our Lord has inspired hard passages as well. Second, um, I'm asking for a little um, grace from you. Uh, I know that, that my personality and disposition has a bit of a hard edge to it. Um, and I look angry when I'm happy, etc., etc., um, I'm aware of this weakness, um, but short of getting um, one of those masks from Mission Impossible, I'm not sure what else to do about it. So here's my, my plea. Um, this is a passage that has a bit of a hard edge to it. And I just want you to know I'm coming from a place of grace and mercy and compassion and longing for all of us to walk with Jesus. And if, if I look angry, just interpret that as compassion, please. That's, that's what I'm, I'm pleading with you this morning. Our passage, or our sermon is entitled, To Become One. To Become One. And so what's going on in this passage is Jesus is teaching his disciples about the nature of marriage and in particular he's teaching his disciples to walk with him and to follow him and to obey him and to serve him in all things including marriage So, what we see here is that God made us, God made marriage, therefore, God orders our thinking and our conviction about marriage. Let me say that one more time God made us, God made marriage, therefore, God, through His Word, orders our thinking about marriage and our convictions about marriage. And this is one of several passages in the scripture that that kind of lays out the vision of the Lord regarding marriage. The question of the passage really wasn't posed in good faith. The question of the passage really wasn't posed in good faith. The Pharisees, again, we're trying to trick Jesus. And they said, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And they're playing off of a Pharisaical, intra Judaism debate about how to interpret Deuteronomy chapter 24. And they're trying to force Jesus to divide the house. What they would really love. To do is force Jesus to say Moses was wrong. And then they would have him where they wanted him. So the question before us is about divorce. It's about marriage. It wasn't posed in good faith. It was a trick. But as many of these tricks played out in the scripture, Jesus turns it on its head and offers true truth. And true wisdom. And so what Jesus does is he doesn't dive into the question and offer a checklist. Rather, he flips the question on his head. And the first thing he does, and this is our first point if you want to take notes, is he goes to the original intent of God in marriage. Jesus goes to the original intent of God in marriage. And this is where we're starting because, A, that's where Jesus started. And, B, I feel like if Jesus' answer to this question goes hard down the path of God's intent, then our thinking about this question must go hard down the path of what God intended. So, so we're not just taking priority of order from Christ here, but we're taking priority of emphasis as well. So in verse 3, they asked the question, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And in verse 4, Jesus answered, Not by going back to the law, but by going back to Genesis two, 1 and 2. Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus begins his teaching on marriage and on the, the question of Divorce by laying out exactly what God intended from the beginning. Now, if you want to put on your biblical nerd hat, because we're going to for a second, by, by quoting from Genesis 1 and 2, Jesus is quoting God's work before sin entered the world. He's quoting God's plans before sin and death tainted. The world. And so ultimately, he's getting at something God made for God's purposes, okay? Now notice what he says. This is the argument of Christ. He says first, God made male and female. God made male and female. Some of us are males. Some of us are females. God made us male and female. Second, God made marriage for males to females. God made marriage for males to females. Because we keep reading and he says, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So marriage is a coming together of male and female to, to start something new in a family sense. Leave father and mother. The two become one flesh. They are leaving and they're becoming one flesh to hold fast to one Another. Now, that's not a phrase that we often use here in the South. I mean, anybody used "hold fast" this week? Anybody? Okay, I have one. Okay, there's always one. But um, "hold fast" means to be firmly fixed, firmly fixed to one another. And so God, so so Jesus is saying, look, God gave male to female to leave father and mother. To, to become one flesh, to hold fast to one another, firmly fixed to one another. And then Jesus goes one step further, and he says, What God has joined together, let not man separate. Now let's just stop. We're going to stop there. We'll come back to the rest of the text, but let's just stop there. God created a world... God created a world with male and female. God created a world that would move forward and be filled and carry out his purposes through male and female leaving father and mother and joining together to create a new union that will hold fast. This is God's plan and God's intent. And what Jesus says is what God has joined together. Let not man separate. So, if we just do some application right here, we do some application right here. Number one, marriage as defined in Genesis 1 and 2 is God's idea. Marriage as defined in Genesis 1 and 2 is God's idea. Now, I'm not taking this sermon down the politics train, and I'm not taking this sermon down things about um, law, but I will simply say Jesus is laying a foundation down that says these conversations matter greatly because God created these things. Second, because God created marriage, Marriage is a blessing. Because God created marriage, marriage is a blessing. It's a good thing. Now, notice what the disciples do with this. If we skip ahead to verse 13, I'm sorry, to verse 10. Oh, if that's the case, maybe we just should stay single. Now, we'll come back to that question in a minute, but... but, But the point is, they feel the weight of what Jesus is saying. They feel the weightiness of what Jesus is saying. But the weight and the weightiness and the calling of self-sacrifice and the calling of mutual love is a good thing because God made it to be so. Friends, one of the great lessons I've learned in my 40s is that things that God intends to be good are worth fighting for. Things that God intends to be good bring a blessing with them even when there's hardship along the way. So rather than us leaving here this morning with checklists and out clauses and escape hatches? What if we leave here this morning with a conviction that God gave us something that's intended to be a blessing and it's worth it? It's worth it. Third, because God created marriage, marriage is to be honored. It's to be celebrated. Because God created marriage. Marriage is to be honored and celebrated. And fourth, we do live in a fallen world. We do live in a fallen world where things don't work out with this Genesis 1 and 2 intent. But before we think about a fallen world, let's stay with God's original intent for a moment, and let's say this. For those of us who are married, looking for escape hatches is not the way of Jesus. Let me just say that one more time. Looking for easy outs, looking for excuses is not the way of Jesus. Now, I want to be really clear. Some of you are in this room today, and you have been divorced. Some of you are in this room, and you're wrestling with the question of divorce. Some of you are in the, and I am not saying that you looked for easy escape hatches. I am not making that accusation. Intensity intended. I'm not saying that. But we live in a culture for the last 50 years where no fault divorce is legal and all you have to do is show up and say, I want to escape and the world says, cool. I'm speaking of those type of easy escape patches. Like let's just look at this intent of Jesus and say, he's shutting that down. He's shutting that down and he's saying, I made this and I made it good and I made it for you and I made it to last. What God has joined together, let not man separate. There's a huge part of me that just wants to stop there, but Jesus went on, so we're gonna go on. Second point this morning, fallen world. So before Jesus answers their question about the Mosaic law, he says, let's go back to what God intended because God's intent shapes how we live in the here and now. But then what Jesus does is he introduces to them why the law of Moses was given, and he introduces to them how he wants them to live in this world. We do live in a fallen world. That's a sinful world. We live in a fallen world that's filled with fallen people which means that every marriage is filled with two fallen sinners. Which means we have to see all these intent things that we just gave to guide us forward. So I think the Pharisees were cluing into to Jesus' point. So in verse 7, they said, Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send his wife away? Again, we're, we're quoting from Deuteronomy 24. Um, Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 begins by saying um, if if a woman does something that's the word's very vague, almost like unacceptable give her a divorce, send her away one class of Pharisees said well unacceptable would be like adultery the other class of Pharisees said well unacceptable is like burning your toast Okay, so we got a, got a vast distinction and a vast array of interpretation here. So Jesus said, listen, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. That sentence is a bit of a, key to open when we think about all these questions about the Mosaic Law Code. In that, God was leading Moses to tell Israel how to govern itself. And God says, look, Moses made these provisions because of your fallenness, but that was not God's intent, okay? That was not God's intent. And then in verse 9, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to introduce the, the marital ethic of his kingdom, which is not people of Jesus and people of the kingdom are not those who are looking to do as little as possible to make God happy. Let me say that one more time. The ethic of the kingdom is not how little can I do so that God will get off my back and I won't have to sit and spiritual time out. The ethic of the kingdom is, how do I joyfully follow Jesus where he is going? That would apply to this situation as well. So verse 9, Jesus says, now he's going to answer their question. After all of this, he answers their question. He says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another Commits adultery. Now Jesus doesn't address wives toward husbands because the question was about men. He doesn't address wives toward husbands because um, the Deuteronomy passage was was written as husbands toward wives. But I think we can apply this in both ways. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. What Jesus is saying is when we bounce from spouse to spouse, we are sinning. He says, he says when we bounce from spouse to spouse except where sexual immorality has played out, we are sinning. It becomes an issue of sin and an issue of obedience. Now let me hit pause. This is is all Jesus gives us in this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul writes quite a bit more on the subject of marriage and divorce and remarriage. I'm not getting into all that today because we would need a whiteboard and I think we would miss the heart of the sermon. The heart of the sermon is what God has put together, let not man And then what Jesus is adding here is in a fallen world, there are very few, but there are circumstances where the marriage covenant has been violated and broken, where the one flesh union has been violated and broken such that divorce is allowed. And in those circumstances, while this is a debated point of interpretation, I would go one step further and say, in those circumstances, remarriage is also allowed. Now, we just opened a powder keg. So let me say this. The purpose of Jesus is to teach the enduring value and the enduring purpose of God through marriage. Jesus, understanding the fallen world that we live in, is making, except for sexual immorality, is making provision for those offended spouses who have a spouse who has made a mockery of the covenant and has through their actions broken the one flesh union of marriage. And so in that instance, Jesus is saying that divorce is allowed. The phrase, except for sexual immorality, this is a, a, a phrase that speaks to sexual unfaithfulness to one spouse. It speaks to sexual sin that plays out that would violate the marriage union and violate the one flesh union. Ultimately, Jesus is saying when we as Christians... Commit our way to Christ and we enter marriage, we are also committing our marriage to Christ and to his ways and to his words. So let's do some implications here. Number one, Jesus says, in this instance of sexual immorality, Divorce is allowed, but not required. It's allowed, but not required. We, after all, are a people of forgiveness and a people of reconciliation. And sometimes that forgiveness and that reconciliation can play out right in this context. It's allowed, but not required even in the face of great sin, a mutual pursuit of reconciliation and a mutual pursuit of forgiveness and a mutual pursuit of restored oneness is a worthy endeavor. Second, if you are married... And you're at your wit's end. And you feel that you're all done. I want to give to you, verse 9, and I want to plead with you to pray over it and ask the Lord to help you see what he is saying. And then I would plead with you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and read it and pray over it and ask the Spirit of God to give you conviction to follow Christ even in this hardship. Third, if you're sitting here and you are just thinking this one word guilty, guilty, I would plead with you to hear this sermon through a lens of the gospel. When God's word convicts us of our sin, it calls upon us to repent to God, to repent to others, and to plead for God's mercy to cover our sin. In this instance, there is no difference of forgiveness between lying and these marital things. Repentance pleads with the Lord to forgive and to heal and to restore. And where our sin affects others, repentance pleads with them to forgive so that we can seek restoration. In some cases, restoration might be a healed Marriage. In other cases, it might not play out that way, but the gospel calls us to repent and to seek reconciliation and restoration as much as is humanly possible. Finally, Christians, how we carry out our marriages matters deeply. It matters to the Lord. There is no better laboratory for gospel living than two broken, sinful people under the same roof in the same 200 square feet each night trying to figure out how to forgive and restore and walk forward. So even in this fallen world, Let's be the people of Jesus who fight for the things of Jesus. And I think fighting for marriage starts at home. Far more than it's on social media and in houses of Congress. Even though all those things matter, I think it starts at home. Finally, the disciples try to make A somewhat glib point. Well, if that's the case, probably just shouldn't get married. And Jesus even turns that into another piece of teaching. Our third point not married. And here's what Jesus says You don't have to be married to honor Him, you don't have to be married to walk in His ways. You don't have to be married to contribute to his kingdom. You don't have to be married to be the fullest contributor to the work of Christ that you possibly can be. Now, notice he does it with some some metaphorical things, but he says in verse 12, there are Eunuchs who have been so from birth. And what he means here, there are some who, because of physical deformities from birth, are not able to be in a sexual relationship. They honor the Lord with how they were made. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, meaning they have been cut upon such that they are not able to be in a sexual relationship, and they honor the Lord. Then he shifts to the metaphorical, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is there are some who choose to not be in or pursue marriage for the glory of God. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. What he's saying is glorify the Lord. You don't need marriage to honor the Lord. And Christian married people, do you know what? Sometimes we talk about marriage like those of us who aren't married are like half people. And they're just a little less than us. And that's wrong. And it's unbiblical We are who we are, where the Lord has put us to serve him. And as much as we do that by faith, we honor him. The whole conversation here about marriage and divorce and not marriage and about singleness is this. our lives and our sexuality and our relationships belong to the Lord. And he's claiming a call on how we live those out. I'm going to pray in just a second, but before I pray, if this conversation this sermon is sparking something in you where you're like, I need to talk to somebody. I'd love to talk with you. Any of our pastors, any of our elders would love to talk with you. I need somebody to pray with me. We'd love to pray with you. I need help. We'd love to do the best we can to help you. So our Father and our God, We pray now that you would take these words which you've spoken and as much as they're true and right and good, you would help us to receive them and believe them and to walk in your ways. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would lead us to a healthy honesty, a healthy repentance and a healthy pursuit of you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and we pray it for the glory of his name.